And welcome to Racing Through Time, NASCAR podcast covering 1986. And as always, Ricky Wittenberg here along with Andy Waddell. And Andy, how is it going this weekend? Much like Jimmy Means, I'm tickled as punch to be here. Tickled as punch? Yes, sir. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, so um, today we're actually going to go over the Talladega race. This will be the first Talladega race in 1986. Uh, I think it was the Winston 500. Yes, that's right. Usually they're Winston or Budweiser, so either way you got a good shot at it. Well, you're going to have one bad habit either way they do it. So. Uh, either way, the, the Levi Garrett Skull Classic uh, presented by Piedmont. How about Piedmont? I don't even know what a Piedmont is. It was an airlines. Uh, this is not the rest- this is not restrictor plate racing that we we're used to. This is drafting, but this is a whole different animal in 1986 when the entire field qualifies at over 202 miles an hour. Not only that, there was a lot of things that wasn't restricted at this race, but we'll get to that. Oh my God! So right off the bat, um, we're we're in the pre-race, and thank God it's another ESPN race, and we've got Bob Jenkins and Larry Newber and. We are in the pre-race, and the first thing that happens, just you know that it's going to be a weird day. Uh, somebody has stolen the pace car. My people have arrived. When you see that someone has stolen the pace car, and what what goes through your mind? Uh, I can't t- keep. What would have to go through your mind besides a lot of liquid courage to decide that that was a good idea? I blame Disney. Disney. Disney, yeah. The plucky underdog, he sees his opportunity to show him that he can drive, and what do they do? They put up a roadblock and tackle him. Yeah, I mean, I thought he, he, he didn't give it a good enough effort when he got to the roadblock. I would have done the, the Burt Reynolds, spun it around, bandit style, gave him the finger, and went halfway back around the track the other way. Yeah, but no, he just stops and plays, lock the door, lock the door, lock, lock the, the door. door. Lock the door, whip your ass. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we'll, we'll, that's our first clip. So, uh, before the race even starts, here is the first clip, the guy that steals the pace car. All right, thank you, Jack. Well, the pace car, we understand, has been stolen. The uh, officials are not driving this thing. and <laughs> some The pace car has not been caught. They've created a roadblock there coming off of turn number four, headed toward the tri-oval, and we think there is some unusual drama occurring here. Let's see what happens when he gets to the uh, roadblock. Will he try to go through it, or will he stop and be captured? And I guess he's going to stop. <laughs> Well, this is certainly it. Well, I've heard the story of that man who makes a living by going around crashing parties, but this is certainly a first. And you can see that the crowd standing and applauding the officials who finally have captured this thief. It has been a bizarre day. We underwent a period of about 10 minutes where the track was without power. At least many of the significant points, including the press box, our broadcast facilities, as well as the public address, that had no power. That was about a half hour ago, and now this occurs. So some strange and bizarre occurrences before the start of the Winston 500. Well, you can see that they're dealing with this individual rather sternly and trying to get him out of the car so that we can get everybody back in place and begin this Winston 500. But boy, what an unbelievable way to start the events here. And you can see more officials, police officers arriving on the scene. I will say they worked with extreme swiftness because they created that roadblock momentarily. And uh, they really handled this this situation with all due efficiency and haste. Well, he's being loaded into a police cruiser now and will probably be spending the night in the local lockup. 
you know, this is a rather wild crowd anyway that gathers here for this race. There are an estimated 125,000 people on hand for today's race, the largest gathering for a sporting event in the history of Alabama. And it's a crowd that is extremely enthusiastic about automobile racing. It gives you an idea somewhat of the feeling that you get in some of the foreign countries around the world who are, are so insane over automobile racing. This crowd here at Talladega is just about the same. Last night when we were leaving the racetrack, and for all of our good friends, we did leave the track. We went home and worked <laughs> and studied last night, had a very calm dinner. Uh, it was some of the wildest scenes that I've seen in a long time on the grounds of a racetrack. Everybody was out having a real good time and a lot of fun. And uh, there you have it. Guy steals the pace car, and um, you can tell the announcers are probably really amused, but they can't they can't act like they're amused because all that would lend is every week some jackass is going to try to steal the pace car. Yeah, they were sitting there saying, this isn't a r real NASCAR fan, and I'm like, really? Have you ever been down in the pits? Yeah, have you ever been to Talladega? <laughs> it is a show, because one of the opening scenes is some big old fat dude in a Speedo wa waxing up some other fat dude, I think. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, this is the track that is infamous for its um, infield parties. and, and I, I have a feeling that the, the guy that stole the pace car, he was, uh, he was ready to party that day. He, he had plenty of antifreeze in his system. Well, green flag waves of the race, and we're off. Bill Elliott has qualified at over 212 miles an hour at Talladega in 1986 with very little car safety and no safer barriers, Andy. You could not pull a pencil out of his hind end. Well, you'll, I'm not sure if... Um, it, I don't think I've got it clipped out, but there's somewhere in this race or in something leading up to this race, it was an article, I think, that I'll post on the Facebook page that Daryl Waltrip was talking about qualifying, and he was scared. He's like, I think I could have went 210 or 211, but I had to back out. I couldn't do it. You you know that it's bad when uh, you're scared, but you still go out there and you have to race, so you got to give him credit. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those things back then. Uh, those guys had to begin to, to know that they were pushing the edge of any sort of semblance of safety when you're going 212 miles an hour. Yeah, because we're only, what, two years away from the restrictor plates? I mean, the original ones? Yeah, well, the next year at Talladega in 1987 is when Bobby Allison has the crash where he flies into the fence that causes the restrictor plates to uh, come up. That so, was yeah. another thing. All the fans were right on the fence, and I'm like, you people have to be drunk. Well, I mean, you've got to think. Can you? I've been to Talladega in the pits and watched watched cars go by ten years ago as they're going one ninety, and there's a lot of safety, and they look like they are just flying. I could not imagine standing against the fence as a pack of cars are going by you over at least two hundred and eight, two hundred and ten miles an hour. You know, the just the wind force off of it have to take your hat off. Yeah, I wish that girl from uh, the Atlanta. Yeah, I wish she was there, sitting in the front row. God bless America. So we're we're off to a good start here. Bill Elliott jumps to the lead. He's jumps out ahead of Bobby Allison, uh, also Kel Yarbrough in the top five, and Jeff Bodine. And Bodine gets stuck on the inside of the track. He's falling back. He's racing Morgan Shepard, who gets by him with help from Sterling Marlin. They don't call him. Sterling yet. He's just Sterling. Well, he will be Sterling once he gets a little bit older and gets better. Uh, four laps down into the race. Uh, seven cars are trying to pull out from the pack. 
We have Jody Ridley dropping off the pace. His engine looks like it is blown, and we get a yellow. And Jenkins talks to Benny Parsons on the track. Ah, uh, he's mighty fast. We're going to have to watch him for a while, it looks like. Bobby, what will your strategy be? Will you try to follow him? Will you let him run away if he turns out to be a rabbit or what? Well, uh, what we can do is the way we're running now, I can't follow him. But we'll just have to see if that changes. Now, Bobby, what about the pre-race meeting and we were going to have the yellow flag for tires? Has everybody looked at their tires and say, we feel comfortable, that yellow flag situation is now off, this having taken care of it? Uh, I don't know uh, what the situation is now. We'll do whatever NASCAR tells us to. Bobby, you got a nice long ride coming up, so best of luck to you. Thank you. All right, that's Bobby Allison. We also uh, have radio contact, hopefully, with Benny Parsons. Bob, this, or Benny, this is Bob in the <laughs> ESPN booth. Can you read us? All right, Benny. Well, we're under yellow here, but you've been able to run about five laps under green at what we uh, calculated about 206 miles an hour. How are things working for you? So far, so good. I just hope they go this well all day. All right, now, is the pace about what you thought it would be at this stage, or are you perhaps a little slower than you thought Elliot would run in the early stages? No, I figured 205 to 207 would be about the pace. All right, Benny, we'll keep an eye on you. Good luck. Benny was the very first driver to crack the 200-mile-an-hour barrier in Winston Cup racing, and now here we have an entire field that qualified not only in excess of 200, but in excess of 202 miles an hour. So there's Benny Parsons and uh, also Bobby Allison getting interviewed. Andy, they're wanting to know, basically, they're trying to figure out how they're going to chase Elliott, it seems like. Yeah, and even then, NASCAR didn't have a clue about what they was doing most of the time. It's just weird. We're going to do this, and then we're not, and who knows what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. We've got this going on, and we're going to do this. And that's one thing about NASCAR is sometimes they just make up stuff as they go. And they've always been accused of being able to manipulate the results. And, I mean, honestly, they can. It's like you're going to throw a caution at a certain lap because of tires and then, well, and I get why they didn't because they had the caution, but then they didn't. So it's like you either do it or you don't do it. You don't say you're going to do it and then don't do it. Yeah. I could have understood if they were going to wait, you know, and throw it five, six laps later, but no, they didn't throw it at all. Yeah. I don't, uh, not really sure what the deal is there. And, uh, Benny Parsons, usually when he's on the radio, he's fairly jovial and upbeat even during the race. And even here, Benny just, He's serious. I think you have to be serious when you're going. Your your pace is 207 miles an hour. Yeah, when you go on that fast, you know you got to be puckered up, and the freaking seat's probably about three inches up in your nether regions. So now we're back to green flag racing, and uh, Chet Phillips spins out immediately, and uh, we go right back to yellow. And under caution, we, we hear from Dan Elliott, who's having to crew chief for Bill this day as Ernie recovers at home from an illness. And Jack Aroot tells Dan that he's tighter than a drum and he jumps a lot. Andy, Jack Aroot just throws daggers. I'm trying to figure out how in the world he made it out of the NASCAR pits in this time and age because these were some badass people. And he was doing all this stuff and he still made it out alive. He had to know something. I, I, Jack Aroot, and they respected him because you know, they all love him. Hey, Jackie, maybe it's because he didn't care. He just said whatever he thought. It's it's weird, though. I mean, you're talking to a guy to his face and say, I think you're nervous. 
What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, and it don't matter who it is. It could be the biggest star or the just the lowest crew chief. It didn't matter to him. No, so I don't know. It, it's it's kind of weird. Um, we have a pre-tape interview with Morgan Shepard where he says that they'll all have to drive flat out in hopes just to keep up with Bill Elliott and having to just hold it on the floor going that fast is uh, it's just insane. Uh, Jack Aroot has now made his way to Connie Sailor's pit. He's been in and out uh, a few times and his wheel weights are actually vibrating off the car. How, how does that even happen? I mean, you, you, you know, 200 mile an hour, I know they're going fast. There's a lot of pressure, but the wheel weights, not once, but twice come off. It's crazy. Yeah, something was not done correctly with that car. And in today's medical update, Andy, oh, Bob Jenkins says that Ernie Elliott has mono. Bud Moore has hepatitis. And what's going on in the NASCAR garage area? There were more diseases than a Kardashian family reunion, I swear. <laughs> it, it, it's just a, yeah, I mean, in Talladega, what stays in what happens in Talladega stays in Talladega. Until it don't. Until it don't. We go back to Green Flag. The top ten are all in a, in a single file line. Bill Elliott, Allison, Cal Yarborough, Morgan Shepard, the top four. We have uh, Dale Earnhardt, who takes it three wide through the middle, splitting the cars of Jeff Bodine and Sterling Marlin in a dicey move. And Neil Bonnet and Tommy Ellis both have to hit pit road. Uh, crew chief crew fills up Neil Bonnet's car. He's back on the track. And, uh, man, I thought... You know, some people have bad luck. Neil Bonnet, so far in 1986, I don't think anything has went right for him. He is the definition of snake bit on this year. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, you're driving a Junior Johnson car, which is usually fairly reliable, and in a couple of them, he did have wrecks that wasn't his fault. But he's had a lot of mechanical weird stuff happen, too. And um, I actually read or saw something that, the last race that we done when uh, Daryl Walter went out at North Wilkesboro before the Martinsville race on our, on our last broadcast, he actually was quoted later in some interview that I saw or, or something that I've read that he said that that was the beginning of the end for him at junior Johnson. When he knew that the cars wasn't as, wasn't as reliable, it was almost like he was leaning towards staying with junior and, for some reason, something just flipped at North Wilkesboro, and um, that's kind of what made him go the other way. Yeah, it's one of them. You'd like to be a mouse on the wall here in the negotiations and all that, but you know we'll never know. I don't guess until they write a memoir. Yeah, and uh, and and G- I can imagine Daryl and Junior because they was always like oil and vinegar, and Junior'd get pissed off and called Daryl Kale, and Daryl would, <laughs> and Daryl didn't like it at all when he done that. Daryl said anytime Junior wanted to make me drive harder, he'd call me Kale on the radio. <laughs> Well, that's some of that tough love, you see. Yeah, it's. I mean, it was kind of like a father-son relationship with them, too. Uh, top six are all running right together now. Dell Earnhardt goes by Kel Yarborough, and he almost wrecks that Yarborough does when Earnhardt got under him. It, you don't it, – it's weird because at Talladega and Daytona, you don't really think all that much about handling. But I guess when you're going that fast, any kind of air is upsetting these cars. They're already – trimmed out to go as fast as they can and man when you see somebody get sideways at 212 or even 210 it gets your attention yeah you know there's an old saying that he could break the wind you know that's got to be true yes so the three car of Earnhardt is uh, moving up the average lap speed still 206 miles an hour 
We have uh, Kel Yarborough, who's fallen back to Richard Petty, uh, Jeff Bodine, Morgan Shepard, also the uh, the seven car, and Tim Richmond, and uh, Phil Parsons all running hard together. We have Kyle Petty, who who gets a rocket up his hind end. He goes by, he goes three wide with Bodine and Petty, and he gets by them, and uh, then the then Petty and uh, Morgan Shepard kind of go they jump ahead of uh of them it's they're all just mixed up together when you're watching this it's like four or five of them and they're all back and forth it was like they had nitrous and then they'd run out yeah i mean it's just really the slingshot the effect of the draft was so heavy when you got that big wake you had to you had to pull out and go and if you stalled out you was going to fall back fast uh earnhardt now inside of bill elliott for the lead we have uh, the Neil Bonnet getting lapped after he had to make the pit stop. Earnhardt pulls ahead of Elliott, and uh, then you see Bobby Allison suck suck up to the rear end of the nine car. We, Sterling Marlin has ran away from that next pack, and he has caught the top three. That Haas Ellington car was moving early in the race. Yeah, you know, it's one of those sometimes you just look up on the right setup and they can fly, and who knows how long it'll last. Yeah, and one thing, I mean, Sterling Marlin was always known as a really good restrictor plate, or, I mean, big track driver, so he, he was he was a good at uh, slingshot in the draft, and I think he made the best out of a car that was not always running that good. I mean, they only ran part of the season, but when they ran, he always gave it a good ride. Yeah, as long as he stayed inside the car. Yeah, don't ever get out of the car and try to fix it on TV. <laughs> but that'll be another story for another day. Um 24 laps into the race, we are the top four have just they're gone. They're they've moved away from everyone else. Uh, we take a commercial break and we're back, and there is stuff all over the racetrack. Sterling Marlin, after that, just talking about him having such a good run, he exploded a tire. And when I say exploded, that that tire was chewed up. He could drive. He could outdrive the car, the tires, and the motor. Yeah, he outdrove all the equipment that day. Um. Back to green from this, uh, from this, Marlon has, he loses a lap. Bill Elliott had a slow stop and he's dropped back to fourth. So Bobby Allison in, in front and, uh, he goes inside of, actually Earnhardt was in front. Allison goes inside of him for the lead. Also Kelly Yarborough and, uh, and Bill Elliott all still right together. A lap later, Bill Elliott passes Yarborough. The, the top four are right together. Um, we get an update on Neil Bonnet. We found out that he has a bad fuel pump that he had to replace. Man, like I'm saying, it's like uh, just weird stuff with poor Neil Bonnet. Yeah, something that don't never tear up, and it tore up on him at the worst time. I mean, right to start the race off. Right. And um, so, so we've got a seven-car breakaway, and uh, Mar- Sterling Marlin is still in that mix also. So we've got... Bobby Allison, Dell Earnhardt, Bill Elliott, Kelly Yarborough, Jeff Bodine, and Richard Petty. Uh, Bill Elliott gets inside of Earnhardt, but uh, Earnhardt drafts the 22, and the nine couldn't make the pass. So you kind of see, you really, even Elliott, as fast as he was, if two cars were drafting together and in front of him, it was hard for him. It was hard for anybody to pass. Well, you could get a real good run, and then it's like you hit a wall of air or something, and it just slow you back down to them, and then they could pass you right back. Yeah, it's like you got that big wake, and then you pull out, and it's like you just you're parachuted into it. So, um, 
We have Rusty Wallace making an unscheduled pit stop. He has blown a tire. So NASCAR's tire concerns were probably well-founded, except they didn't ever throw that caution. I would just like to know the heat that was on these tires that going 205, 206 mile an hour over and over and over and over and moving in and out of traffic. Yeah, and I mean the G-loads on the cars and everything, the, the tire, and I'm sure the weather that day, I think it was it was fairly warm, so the track temperature and the speeds, everything really hurt the, uh, the overall tire effect. We go to commercial, and um, we're back. Bobby Allison is in the lead. The Bill Elliott has went under Earnhardt, but again can't make the pass. We have Kyle Petty. He's moving through the field. He he had blown by his dad. He drove by Marlin, and uh, then he tries to pass uh, Kel Yarborough. Don't make it. A few more laps later, he tries again. He makes it stick. So we've got seven cars in a lead draft with uh, Morgan Shepard, who is uh, trying to run down that lead pack. Uh, Kyle Petty then gets by Bill Elliott for third. I mean... Kyle Petty's car looked like the, um, besides Marlin, who had had a good start and then had some problems, Kyle Petty looks like he's got the next best car out there right now. Well, it wasn't so much about him being fast. He could move in and out of traffic, and he could steer it a lot easier. The handling was a hell of a lot better than a lot of the cars. Yeah, I mean, that could have been a lot of it. The handle was working real well on Kyle because when he got inside those cars, it wasn't like he was... um, getting loose he was able to keep his foot down and and pass them and jump back up in line so uh, that makes me it gives me a, a just a random thought was kyle petty back in this day and and i don't remember as well because i was a kid was was he comparable to what dale earnhardt jr was from senior was it pretty much the same deal this early in kyle petty's career i know later it, it, it wasn't, but early in Kyle Petty's career here where he's got some early success, he's finally won a race, was he comparable to Dale Earnhardt Jr.? I think he was actually uh, more well thought of than Earnhardt Jr. because people looked at him different. Yeah, he was Richard's boy, but he was on a different team. It wasn't like he was racing for his daddy, and I think that hurt Jr. a lot to start with. But like you say, after you know the incident, Daytona, after that, he picked up his daddy's fans, and he had his own group of fans, and he just skyrocketed after that. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, Junior would probably shake out higher than Petty, but there's a lot of similarities between those two. They Neither one of them ever, you know, won the championship. They couldn't live up to their dad's uh, big footprints that they put in the sport, but both of them, if, if you just looked at them in a pocket and their name wasn't Petty or Earnhardt, they had good careers. I mean, it'd be, a lot of people would take what they had. Yeah, you got to figure. I mean, people forget how hard it is to win one race in your entire career. And these guys, they won multiple races. And yeah, some of you know some of the times they had better equipment. Sometimes they didn't. But just because of their last name, they were held to a higher standard, and I think it hurt them in the long run. Yeah, I don't think anybody could argue. Pat, Kyle Petty had the best equipment ever. I mean, Felix Sabata spent money, but it wasn't like Sabco was one of the top two or three teams, so he would bust through and win races every once in a while. I, just, I was just curious to see what your thoughts was. Maybe um, some others will chime in and, and give their thoughts on that. So Petty has now gotten under Dell Earnhardt, and they're fighting pretty hard as they approach lap 50 for that $10,000 bonus. Um, the 22 of Allison is still ahead, 
as uh, Earnhardt fends off Kyle Petty. And this is about the point in the race, Andy, where I feel like I've started having a series of small strokes because of this YouTube video. And I ask you, I'm like, what is going on? Like I kept adjusting my eyes and I thought, is the video stuck? Like it, it was weird. If you watch this video on YouTube, you're going to get to a point in the race where you're not going to be able to watch it. I was checking my internet connection. I was checking my monitor. I pulled it up on my phone. I tried three, four different devices. I never could get it to show up right. And then I realized it was the video. Yeah. Uh, Cause the qual the video quality is really good. That's what threw me off because the quality is really good. But then there's like a stutter or something. It was something that probably happened in a, the digital transfer, but man, it, it screws you up when you're, when you're trying to watch that. So, uh, Sterling Marlin is now off the pace. Once again, uh, we have Bobby Allison. He's able to hang on to, at lap 50. He takes home that extra $10,000. Dale Earnhardt didn't even make the move. And a lap later, then he passes Allison. I, I think Allison just let Earnhardt go. Allison had a really good car. Well, you got to figure, I was trying to figure out why they was racing so hard for the 10,000, but it makes sense. That's an eighth of the winner's purse for the whole thing just for leading that one lap. Of course, they're going to run hard. Yeah, I mean, 10,000 may not sound like a lot, but you put it in a calculator for today's money, then it's not a bad, I mean, it's not bad for leading one particular lap of the race, an extra $10,000 um, in 1986. We have Kyle Petty, who now has also went to the inside of Allison. He doesn't make it stick, and uh, Bill Elliott's able to get around him. Dick Bergeron uh, says that it appears that Sterling Marlin has lost an engine, and he is out of the race. We're back from a commercial. Bill Elliott gets outside of Earnhardt for the lead. He leads a lap at the line, but Earnhardt gets back by. And uh, now we have Sterling Marlin in the pits with Dick Bergeron. And I'm with a very disappointed Sterling Marlin. He qualified fifth, was running well, but you're out of it. What's happened to you? Well, we uh, cut a right rear down early in the race and uh, got two laps down, but the car, this bullseye Chevrolet really ran good. And I honestly think we had, uh, if not the one of the two fastest cars here. On the start, I was just laying back and uh, letting everybody sort itself out. And looks like we may have burned a piston. We uh, had a tire going th down at the time we burned a piston, so uh, it just wasn't our day. But we can ever get together and uh, finish race, I think we're going to do something. We'll look very strong to you out there. Well, Ironhead looks pretty pretty strong, and uh, which Bill, I don't know what Bill's doing. He could be just riding, and uh, I think the three and the nine is pretty stout. How about Kyle Petty? What do you think of his performance so far? Well, I didn't see him, you know, the start of the race, and uh, we had that trouble, and uh, he come over to me, and he's, he's going up through the field, so we might have to watch Kyle. For those of you who don't know, by the way, Ironhead is an affectionate nickname for one Dale Earnhardt. Yeah, I was going to uh, clarify that. Thank you, Dick. Yeah. Ironhead is an affectionate name that uh, Dale Earnhardt had. And it, it came from a very legitimate source. His father's nickname was Ironheart. That was <laughs> Ralph's nickname, and that's how they got Ironhead for Dale. Well, Ironhead is leading at this point. Bill Elliott is running in second position. And then back to third is Bobby Allison. So there's a couple of things there, Andy. Um, Sterling out of the race, but uh, he throws out the the word Ironhead, and I don't know how much that had maybe been mentioned in broadcast before, but they kind of act like that it hadn't because they try to explain that Earnhardt's nickname was Ironhead. That might have been the first time we heard that on TV. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder if that ain't some kind of like inside joke or inside secret because they were calling him that in the dirt tracks back in the late 70s, but you know, you never heard it on the broadcast anywhere. 
No, and uh, then they they mentioned that his uh, his dad's nickname was Iron Heart. Dave Marcus's nickname is Iron Peter for some reason. My nickname's <laughs> Iron Eagle. So we've got um, we have that happen, and then we're they go pretty much quickly to a clip of Daryl Waltrip um, talking about the race cars on this track here at Talladega. There doesn't seem to be as much drafting. They don't seem to be running as close together. Has there been a change with the new body size? No, it's not that. We're going fast. We're just going too fast. We need more room to uh, race. Uh, we're going in the corners harder, and we're going up the track faster, and uh, the bumps are more severe. Uh, you know, if you just consider how many feet per second we're moving, and uh, once you start going over 200 miles an hour, that just escalates so quickly and the driver reaction time is much less. It may be fun to hear about 212, but it isn't fun to be hearing about it when you're in it. <laughs> I find that a very interesting comment on behalf of Daryl Waltrip. Uh, he seems to say that he thinks 200 miles an hour is too fast to be traveling and racing in. Well, you never know when Daryl is talking. You know, Daryl is a master strategist, Bob. And uh, one thing about Daryl, no matter what the speed and conditions, he's one of the very best. And as much as I like Daryl, Andy, um, he had a vicious crash at Daytona in 1982 or 83 that could have killed him. And they wasn't going that fast then. I th I really think, you know, you look past the early 80s, he only won one or two big, big track races after that. I don't think he liked racing in that kind of environment. No, you could tell he never was comfortable with it. Even the way he talked about the tracks, he never was comfortable with it. Yeah, I mean, and then you've got him going later on. He has the wreck at Daytona and practice that breaks his leg. The very next year, he comes back to Daytona in the 400 and flips 20 times down the back stretch. So he just, uh, he may have had a good reason not to like those tracks, but he didn't know it quite yet. He, he had some more bad days to come. Um. So we're 61 laps into the race, and the uh, car, Dale Earnhardt hits the pits for a green flag stop. They talk to Leonard Wood, who says that they're just letting Kyle Petty runs as he feels comfortable. Joe Rutman is in with the hood up, and also at the same time, a dragon falls from the sky on top of the car and killing Rutman instantly because he can't have any worse luck than anybody except Neil Bonnet. Well, yeah, Neil Bonnet might knock him out of that one, but I mean, how bad has got the hood come loose? I mean, the hood—it's—it's it's a hood. I mean, they was going two twelve, but if it can happen, it's going to happen to Joe Rutman. That's we've we figured that out. He may not believe in the jinx of a green car or any kind of bad luck, but he should. <laughs> yeah, if your name's not Harry Gant, don't drive a green car. Apparently, um, so we have that, and then we um, we have our uh, next clip which is uh, one of the most pivotal moments of the race. I think it's a shame. You know, we worked yesterday and had the car run a 208, 210 in a draft. Trouble on the back stretch. They just spin your crash. Yellow flag on the racetrack. Nobody. Go ahead, Bob. Several cars involved. I cannot make out the numbers. Kyle Petty, Cale Yarbrough are two of them. It looks like Trevor Boyce is the third one, the number six car. But Kyle Petty and Cale Yarbrough were two of the cars definitely involved. This is off of corner number two at the entrance to the back stretch. We can see some cars sitting to the inside. Underwent a period of about 10 minutes where the track was without power. At least many of the... Your screen begins to move away. But the other two cars are still stalled in the infield. 
Jeff Bodine is showing some smoke to bleed. Yes, definitely. He has some damage from the left front. Bodine involved in the altercation also. Heavy damage in the left front to Jeff Bodine's car. Well, Jeff Bodine's chances of winning this race appear to have diminished significantly. Of course, if you win three of the four, so-called big four, the bonus of $1 million, he wanted very much to add this win today, so he will only have one more of the two to win after this and pick up the million. We'll have a replay of it and try to determine what happened. There is Jeff Bodine trying to move underneath Trevor Boyce. There's a spin up front. Looks like Yarborough had gone around first. Here comes Petty to the inside trying to avoid. Right behind us to the right of the screen, here comes Trevor Boyce and Jeff Bodine trying to take evasive action. Obviously, they came together, made no contact with Kale, but Kale appeared to be the one who precipitated that. Don't know if something broke in the car or what, but it occurred ahead of Jeff Bodine and Kyle Petty. So that's uh, probably one of the biggest moments you're going to see in the race. Uh, you you can't have that many good cars go out in a wreck like that in that day and age and it not affect the race. I mean, you had Kel Yarborough, Kyle Petty, and uh, Jeff Bodine uh, crash out and uh, also a couple of the uh, the others. I mean, Trevor Boys wasn't. I don't think he was going to win the race. <laughs> Stranger things have happened, but it would be a stretch. But you, you have three really good cars. Just pretty much that was all they all all she wrote. Yeah, and poor Bonnet. Talk about the devil and he'll appear. This guy is having the world's worst luck. Yeah, he can't even get a he can't even get an interview. He's interviewing. Them. I'll piss off. There's a wreck on the track. <laughs> they don't even go back to him. The poor guy looked like some kind of French villain though, with that pencil mustache he had at the time. <laughs> Jacques Cousteau Bonnet. 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 Neil Bonnet. Somebody get a T-shirt. We'll 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 do one. Um, so now we we're trying to watch the replay. The video has basically slowed to a series of fast still photography. It's like a picture book if somebody's flipping it, almost. Uh, you can't really tell what happened, except you can see that, that um, the 28 has wrecked, and we have the other guys crashing into him. Uh, Bodine is in the garage, and uh, he said that he got into Kyle Petty, but it's mostly sheet metal. And he's smart. He is the happiest man on the planet. I didn't, I didn't never realize that Jeff Bodine was that happy. I just would like his outlook on life apparently because the man was always smiling. Yeah. Apparently I was mistaken. My whole entire childhood has been a lie because I hated Bodine because he hated Earnhardt. And now I watch him back and I'm like, he's never mad. How, how did they have a rivalry when he's never mad? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like a, um, a B Buddha, uh, feuding with uh, Genghis, Khan. Genghis Khan. Yes, good. Buddha and Genghis Khan going at it. No, don't understand why. The green flag back out finally after a lengthy cleanup, and um, the the video is is honestly largely unwatchable at this point. Bill Elliott's in the lead. Uh, Bobby Allison second. Buddy Baker, Earnhardt, and um, Daryl Waltrip are the top five at this point. Baker's looking pretty stout, but he almost wrecks as Earnhardt gets under him for position. They race hard side by side, and the front two kind of pull away. We uh, get an interview with Kel Bonnet. Uh, Kel, bon Kel, Kel Bonnet. Kel Bonnet. Kel Yarborough, who said he blew up, and he caused that mess on the back stretch. Yeah, uh, but when he blew up, he blew his shirt plum off of him. I yeah. mean, that was awful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was warm that day, and, uh, yeah, he, had, he was derobing um, on camera, so... 
if you if you like that kind of thing, that's the kind of thing you like. And then Kel Kel Bonnet was <laughs> Kel Yarborough was uh, he was hot apparently. See, I, mean, I missed all that though because when they started acting up again on the video, I started holding an exorcism and there were demons. It was awful. It was just bad. We are back to green flag. No, we're, we've been green flag. We're back to the track. There's some pretty good racing in the pack from what you can tell. Uh, Joe Rutman has some plutonium stuck to his grill. So so he's coming into the pits. I have no idea why I wrote plutonium. Did it look like plutonium? Or I, I, this is at the point where I was having a series of small strokes. If you've ever seen the Simpsons intro where Homer has it on the back of his shirt and it bounces off the car and then it starts bouncing off everywhere else, that's what it looks like. Okay, well, I guess that's where I got it. And I don't even remember even remember putting this in the notes. So uh, This is the point of the race where I actually do skip ahead because you can't see what's going on. Um, nine car of Elliot has pulled away from the pack and, uh, I eventually get, we eventually get back to the race and we don't miss too much of it. And, uh, we have, uh, our next clip where Ricky Rudd has blown his engine. Put you out. Well, last week was good. You know, we visited Victor Lane and this today just wasn't our day. Uh, we got started something broke in the back end of the car. We think it was a ratchet or something. The car wouldn't drive right. They made some adjustments and the car still didn't respond like we wanted to, but something finally let go in the motor. We picked up a bad vibration. And I shut it off while it went ahead and exploded. Well, Ricky, you've had enough time out there to measure the competition. Early in the telecast, I said, Elliot's going to be the man to beat. Even when he fell back to second and third, I said he was just holding back. He wasn't going to show his hand. Who do you see as the guy to beat? Well, I really think Bill's, you know, there's no doubt about it. He's been the strongest car all week, and I think he went up front, took the lead so he can do it, and just sort of dropped back a little bit and sort of mixed in with the competition. Uh, if I was going to bet any money, there's no doubt I'd put it on Bill Elliott. Uh, Dale Earnhardt's cars look like it's working awful good and a couple of them are handling it's only the number i believe but it sure don't run the same one at talladega now we go to the shorter tracks intermediate tracks we feel like we've got something we can run with bill but uh you know if we can't do it i'm glad to see another ford out there doing it guys don't be surprised if next time at talladega ricky rudd's driving number 19. we we go from talking to jeff bodine who is the eternal optimist and i swear to god you could talk to ricky rudd after he wins a race and there's a problem <laughs> Yeah, the total pessimist. I mean, come on. But he was driving a Ford. It blew up. That happens. I know. Yeah, I'm. I'm just joking. I, Ricky, it's just his personality. He comes across as a little uh, cr crash, crass, crash. Yes, he comes across as crass sometimes. But um, he he did he did try to make the joke. Yeah, he's got a Ford, but it's not got the right number. No, nobody could touch Elliot. Everybody knew it. But that still kind of that goes back to Daytona. What happened at Daytona, the, the Daytona 500? Bill Elliott at the Daytona 500, we covered that race. He was, wasn't even a factor. And here, nobody could even begin to touch him. And it's they must have missed something was wrong with that car at Daytona, apparently. They brought the wrong setup, wrong tires or something, because here he is just dominating the field. So we did get the mid-race recap right there. Also, non-leaders, nine, nine no, Bill Elliott was the leader. Um, there's 13 cars still on the lead lap. 130,000 people in attendance here at Talladega. And um, that's also, ironically, the same number of married cousins in that state. Yes, you know how you find a virgin in Alabama, don't you? Not really. She's faster than her brothers. <laughs> True. Uh, Bobby Allison um, is now being interviewed while we're under caution. And uh, we... Uh, he talks about trying to compete with Bill Elliott. Bobby Allison finds himself deposited in the lead after this set of pit stops, but Bobby, what about that Elliott car? Are you going to watch the rear bumper of that car and try and keep pace with him all day, or are you going to run your own race from here? He certainly looks strong. 
Well, the car is running real good, but uh, Elliot is awful strong. I cannot do anything with them once we get out the clear. Does it look like the car is to a situation where as the race wears on, perhaps on subsequent pit stops, you may be able to make changes to get just a few more miles per hour? Well, I, I really don't know. The car is very good the way it is. Thank you, Bobby. We know that uh, it's been a tough race up to now trying to keep up with that number nine, but so far, comparing yourself to everybody else, you're doing the best. There's still well, I'm pleased with that, and uh, we just keep on trying. We may be able to make this uh, a little bit better as the race goes on. All right, Bobby Allison, the current leader, they're still cleaning up the uh, debris down in turn number one. Well, Daryl, the smoke's still pouring out of the car. It blew. <laughs> I had just called in on the radio and told them that uh, oil pressure had been acting up a little bit. And uh, now it's acting up a whole lot. <laughs> Who is strong? Who have you been watching in the race besides Elliot? Is anybody able to overhaul him, in your opinion? It's hard to say. I don't think so. He looks like he's uh, just riding right now. Basically what we were doing. We were just trying to make it to the last part of the race and then go racing. So uh, it's a bad deal for us. <laughs> But this is the first time you've dropped out all year. That's not bad at all. Second week in a row. Hi, Mom and Dad and everybody back home. Yeah, Darrell Waltrip disappointed to be in the garage for sure. Yeah, he was the points leader going into this race with 1,247. Only five behind was Earnhardt, so Dale could very easily move into the Winston Cup point-standing lead after this race. Terry Labonte was third. He's off the pace today. Rusty Wallace was fourth, and he is a lap down. Kyle Petty was involved in an accident earlier, and he is a lap down in this event. He was in fifth place in the point-standings coming into today's Winston 500. Even Dick Bergeron forgot that there was a race at Martinsville the week before because it was so god-awful. Yeah, nobody wanted to remember that one. I mean, Daryl drops out the week before, and he, he quickly reminds Bergeron second week in a row. Yeah, that's two, <laughs> buddy, not just one. So we, um, we're back to green flag racing, and um, eventually eventually we're back to green flag racing. We have Dale Earnhardt out front. It's lap 108. Bobby Allison and um, Elliot are now right behind him. Benny Parsons is on the tail end of the lead lap trying to get his lap back. He holds him off for a lap, but that's it. Because then Earnhardt, Allison, Elliot all drive by. Now we have Allison under attack from Elliot. Um, we, Earnhardt drops down and he picks up Elliot's draft for a second. And we see Earnhardt drafting both lanes and, and trying to get runs and block runs off of both lanes. And I thought that was weird because I don't remember them guys doing that until... Just a few years ago when you would see them, uh, whoever got in the lead in a plate race, they'll try to stall out both lanes. It looked like that's what Earnhardt was actually trying to do here in 1986. Yeah, he was a forerunner of everything that happened with the drafting and all the big tracks. Uh, he was way ahead of his time. So uh, that was just, I thought that was interesting because I don't really remember that being a, a something that they'd done a lot of, and Earnhardt definitely was doing it right there. Bill Elliott tries again. This time he does get by Earnhardt and Allison with no help. He just drove by them on the inside like they weren't moving. And it wasn't like he used the draft either. He just put the pedal down and I guess he said, well, hang on, boys, here we go. 
Yeah, I guess he thought it was go time. It's almost like watching Stroker Ace where they're doing those can clips when you see hit Stroker drop down to the bottom and then pass 20 cars. But, you know, that was for a movie. This was like the real deal, and he done the same thing. Yeah, he's pulling the, day, the Days of Thunder passes here that you know ain't real if you ever watch NASCAR, but it still looks good on TV. Yeah, 75 laps to go. Uh, we're, we've got a good battle between Morgan Shepard, Richard Petty, Buddy Baker. There's some more cars in the pack. Um, we have Poncho Carter dropping off the pace. He, he was having a pretty good run. Connie Saylor off the pace. Uh, yellow flag out for Debris, and that will be the sixth caution so far here in the race. I hate to say this, but I was glad to see Saylor get off there because every time he come around, it looked like somebody had stole the pace car again by the paint scheme. <laughs> yeah, the car. Yeah, but Connie Saylor now driving the pace car because it's out of the race. I was hearing the Benny Hill sling. <laughs> Uh, Bobby Allison had to replace his windshield under caution. They get it done in 34 seconds, which I think last week or the week before, they had a 34-second four-tire pit stop. So uh, replacing the whole windshield, that's pretty good. It just had clips. Uh, Back to green flag racing, and the cars are literally everywhere. There's some on the apron. They're four wide. Um, And then we we get a clip. Tim Richmond. he hasn't ran well all day, but he and he's on trying to stay on the tail end of the lead lap. Uh, that don't work. Bill Elliott drives by him real easily. We get Morgan Shepard moving to second and Phil Parsons up to third. And the video, thank God, has been restored to its its pristine glory. And we can actually tell what's going on finally again on the track right here with uh, about 60 laps to go. And you doubted my exorcism skills. <laughs> the video was resurrected. The 22 car moving through traffic. Allison, he's passing. He passes the Helen Ray special. Several more laps uh, down, and uh, he's passed a lot of cars. He's ran down Earnhardt. We have Elliott. In a, he's all by himself, way out in front, uh, four or five seconds ahead. You, look at a big track. You just It's just hard to imagine anybody pulling out four or five seconds by themselves, but he does it. Um, we go to commercial and we come back and Bobby Allison has passed Earnhardt for second. And uh, now we're going to talk, uh, talk to Bobby Allison, who talks about the speeds of the cars. You've been around this sport for many years. Did you ever think you would see the day when the entire field would be above 200? Well, really, I did. Uh, when they first built this racetrack, uh, I went 200 here and, and tested before they ever opened it. I didn't expect the, the uh, restrictions to come in nor the cars to change so drastically when we had the great reduction in speed a few years ago. And so I thought they would go right on over 200 right then. But then as time went on, I began to wonder about that. And, uh, you know, over the past few seasons, we see the speeds once again being way up there. But uh, I got to admit, now that, now that it is a reality, it's pretty incredible to have the entire field over 200. Bobby Allison from nearby Hueytown, Alabama, and really the Savola team with he and Bobby Hillen uh, are doing quite well in Winston Cup racing this year. And that, that's a good point. The cars, when they opened Talladega, they were going 200, but they, they knew then they had to do something and put some restrictions on them because even though the cars in the 80s weren't safe, I mean, my God, they were way safer than they was when Talladega first opened, um, you know, 20 years earlier. That's another thing. You can watch this. They're not hugging the track like the modern cars do. There's still three, four inches of gap between them and the racing service. Yeah, yeah. The cars are not 
arrow ground affected down to the right to the track and sealed to the track like they are now they were bouncing and they had plenty of uh plenty of clearance under the cars so it, it is it is strange um about the speeds there and you know we have i don't know i can't imagine what they'd go now i know people all the time like well just open it up and move the fence back no dumbass there's there's a there's a point where you can't do that and the point is was it 10 years ago or, or so rusty wallace they had an open uh closed test and they threw him out there on the track without a restrictor plate and he was going 240 something like that and that was 10 years ago yeah because so you can imagine if it gets airborne it's going to go crazy i've never figured out why they don't drop the motor size at the bigger tracks you know at least try that try something a little different give the driver more control over it well and the, the other thing too is the the body your body can only take so many G's, sustained G's. So if you're going 240 miles an hour flat out, you, you'll pass out in just a few minutes. I mean, that's why astronauts have this rigorous training of going into space. You watch them and you watch some of those training videos and those guys go out cold so many times before they get to the point where they can do it or these um, Air Force pilots where they have to try to do the rolls and the sustained G's. So, no, you can't sustain 240 miles an hour for three hours. It just don't work. Yeah, when you have to wear a suit that pumps the blood back to your brain, you know, that's going a little bit too far. Yeah, at some point, it's just, just not worth it. 142 laps down in the race. We're back from commercial, and we see a little toy car of uh, Bill Elliott. And I had a bunch of those cars when I was a kid. They had, uh, the, you could beat those cars half to damn death. And they didn't tear up. They didn't make that crap that you could break now and, in, in, you know, to playing with it two or three times gently. You could sling those things down a mountain and they'd still be right there going. We would have drag races with them. And if somebody started winning, you just beat them with it. Of course, that caused concussions and stitches, but it was a different time. It was, but it made me think, and maybe one of these days we'll do that race. But um, in uh, 1992, uh, my dad was not a fan of Davy Allison because we were fans of Darrell Waltrip and they had had a feud. So my dad done, he, he built model cars and you've seen his model cars that he's, he's built. So he had one to Davy and just as a joke um, at a Pocono race, he, he put the car upside down on top of the TV. And that was before you had the flat panel TVs. I mean, the car could sit on top of the TV without falling off. So he puts a 28 car upside down on top of the TV as a joke. Well, that is the race that Daryl Walter puts Davy Allison on his lid, flipping about 12 times at Pocono. And uh, my dad never done that again. I was supposed to say, knowing your dad, that didn't ever happen again. Yeah, I mean, he is like one of those things. like, well, I, you know, I didn't want him to die. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, so that's a true story. That really happened. Um, Kyle Petty's car is on fire, and he's climbing out fast. And he was not in any – it's one of those things where you sometimes you see a guy on fire, and you're like, they're comfortable with death because they they just embrace it. It's like, it's okay. Kyle Petty was climbing out of the car, and it was still moving. As much product as he had in his hair, he didn't want to go up like the Challenger. The Challenger. Yeah, I mean, man, he could have just exploded with all that hairspray. Uh, maybe that's why he's climbing out of the car so fast. Good Lord. Uh, Jack Root asked Dan Elliott if they could make it on uh, gas, and he, he says yes. Um, Kyle Petty is being talked to under caution. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, so we, we missed a little. Terry Labonte gets pushed to the garage. Um, everybody's right at their pit window. Uh, Kyle Petty says that someone wasn't watching when he crashed because there was a lot of oil 
that was dropped on the track um, when he first crashed. But I'm not, I'm not sure because I think Kel Yarborough blew up and wrecked like right in front of him. So I'm not sure if there was oil on the track for laps or if that really just it happened and he wasn't aware of it. Uh, who knows? Some I just sit there and am fascinated listening to either one of the petties talk. I just love the accent. Yeah, he didn't talk about daddy this time, though. It's Diddy. 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 It's Diddy, yeah. So we're under caution for a while. A lot of guys come back in, top off their gas tanks, because they are right on the edge of the pit window. Uh, back under green, Bill Elliott just pulls away from Allison. Uh, several green flag laps, and he's pulled about a second ahead. And we have Allison with uh, the four car of Rick Wilson, who is – Giving it a, he's getting, yeah, I mean, this is Rick Wilson before they got the Kodak sponsorship and he's trying to make a name for himself and he's running right up front. So, uh, Bobby Allison has, um, the three car lost the draft when they pitted again. So Earnhardt comes back in the top off, but they didn't get back around the track quick enough. So he's lost the draft. Yeah. He's nowhere in sight and you know, that just had to ruin his race or that's what they thought. Yeah. Uh, we have. We talked to Richard Childress. He don't think that the nine car of Elliott can make it, but he does think that uh, Bobby Allison can. So he's he's well, worried about that. That's because Ford sucked uh, too much gas. Sucked too much gas. A few more laps go by. Elliott and uh, Allison, they're fairly close. Uh, Jack Aroot tries to interview the crew chief of Buddy Baker. And Andy, what happens? <laughs> there is not one. Nowhere in sight. I just hope he had a spotter at this point. Buddy Baker, they're trying to talk to Buddy Baker's crew chief, and he doesn't have one. He is the crew chief. I mean, it's Buddy Baker. Yeah, he's doing it from the car. Buddy Baker was the man. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's the car owner, the crew chief. He jumped out of the car and changed tires under caution, and uh, he done it all in 12 and a half seconds. Well, I mean, what do you expect? It's Buddy Baker. That's that's end of the discussion. Buddy Baker. All of a sudden, we have Bill Elliott dropping off the pace. He's to the inside of the track, and there's a lot of smoke pouring out of the nine car, and Bobby Allison goes to the lead. 14 laps to go. You see Bill Elliott coasting around the apron, just trying to click off some laps. Uh, Bobby Allison comes into the pits to top it off. He changes all four tires. Earnhardt into the pits for four tires. And um, we have uh, Buddy Baker and uh, the and Rick Wilson come out ahead of uh, Allison and Earnhardt off of this caution flag. So you got 14 laps to go, and you've got a whole new – it's just a completely different race. Everybody's got jumbled up. We're ready to go. So back to green flag racing, only 10 laps to go. Buddy Baker is in the lead. He's got a few lap cars to deal with. The Bobby Allison jumps inside three wide. He almost crashes. Rick Wilson drops back into second. Um, then Richard Petty, no, uh, yes, Richard Petty up to second. I mean, the fans, could you imagine the 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 chaos they would cause if Richard Petty would have pulled this one out? But he's up to second. Then you get Earnhardt inside of Allison. And, I mean, it's it's really like all hell has just broke loose. Yeah, if, if Richard would have won this race, oh, dear Lord, they'd have been beer cans galore. And in celebration, not just out of madness, they're oh, just celebrating. Yeah, just, just throwing. They'd have been throwing babies on the track. It'd have been crazy. We have uh, Buddy Baker. He's about a second ahead of uh, Petty. And uh, on the inside, we've got uh, Rick Wilson 
they almost crash Dale Earnhardt and Bobby Hillen go by. Bobby Hillen, I mean, that God Hillen's been in this race. We saw the com- There is a commercial at some point that I want to, I'll put on YouTube, but maybe um, on our page or throw it on our page. Uh, not from the, I'll try to find that, that clip again, maybe a little better. They try to demonstrate how fast cars are going, but this is during the, the point in the race where it was real choppy, but they show how fast somebody can run, how fast somebody can walk, and then how fast the car can go a hundred yards, right? Yeah, but that guy, Bobby Hillen can move. He he done hundred yards in like eleven seconds. He did the forty in like four nine. I mean, that's good. I'm at that nineteen eighty six. Bobby Bowden watched that and said, "Get that boy a scholarship <laughs> and some roids and some and some roids." Six, six laps to go. Um, we've got Buddy Baker. He's doing everything he can. He's trying to block runs. We get Bobby Allison inside of Earnhardt for second. They bump each other at the line. Bobby Hillen trying to make moves. Uh, finally, the we get Bobby Allison and Earnhardt dropping low to get by Buddy Baker, and um, Baker slots into third. Five laps to go, and there's seven cars, basically, that all have a chance to win this race. I swear I started to develop the Vipers. <laughs> the vapors. We have Bobby Allison, Earnhardt, and Buddy Baker slightly ahead of Bobby Hillen and um, Phil Parsons. Four laps to go. We have the. I'm pretty sure Earnhardt was actually physically pushing Bobby Allison down. This was bump drafting before bump drafting. If he wasn't pushing him, he there was no gap between the bumpers. I guarantee you, paint was swapped. And with the way the NASCAR garage is going right now at this time, they better be careful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, God knows what you're going to catch at this point in time, and, and ESPN's going to let us know all about it. We, we've we got down uh, to the last two laps, and we'll just let the guys from ESPN take it home. There's going to be some passing on the final lap of this race. In just two more laps, the checkered flag will fall. The white flag will come out in one more lap. The crowd is on its feet, cheering for their particular favorite. Bobby Allison, Dale Earnhardt, Buddy Baker, There you can see Dale 
So that was a pretty intense last two laps, even though there wasn't really a pass. I mean, Earnhardt made that move on Allison, and it looked like he was going to make it stick. And this is another, this is just, it keeps me going back to um, the Richmond race, Andy. Now, this is, maybe it's because it's a little more high stakes here at Talladega, and you really don't want to crash anybody. But I still think Earnhardt may have it in the back of his head. He can't screw up right now and wreck anybody because he's going to get suspended. See, I I agree with you. I, I have a theory. NASCAR unwittingly made Earnhardt a better driver because for the rest of this year, he has to watch when he touches and when he don't. So it's, you know, I believe they made him a better driver and helped him out in the long run. It could have. But at the same time, um, I don't think, you know, I'm not saying Earnhardt was afraid of anybody, but Bobby Allison would have been one I wouldn't have wanted to tussle with at Talladega if there was a crash coming out of turn four. That that could have been uh, Yarborough and Allison all over again, except Yarborough and, or I mean, Allison and Earnhardt. Yeah, but Dagon, he'd have had so many cousins and cousins, cousins coming out of the woodwork. He'd have never made it out. We'd have had people climbing over the fence. Somebody else would have stole the pace car, run Earnhardt over. That would have been been the end of Dale Earnhardt that day in Talladega if something like that would have happened. But um, Allison, it was a good race. He hangs on for the win. Uh, Just a solid race back to the line. And uh, he's happy, and we're in victory lane talking to Bobby. $5,000 of winnings going into today. There he is, Bobby Allison. Let's go to Jackaroo. Well, it's kind of tough here in Victory Lane. It's been a long time since you've been here, Bobby. Congratulations. Boy, I tell you what, that's excited. What we see here has the last four or five laps, Bobby. Well, I felt like the car handled so good and the engine worked so good that uh, I I felt like I could beat them back from in the front. So uh, I just tried for it. Knowing that it is your hometown track, knowing that it's not that far away from Birmingham and these, these stands are filled with your fans, does it make it extra special? Ooh. It really is, I'll tell you. It is great. Right here at home, I'm telling you, it is just super great. I'll tell you what, on behalf of everybody at ESPN, congratulations. Welcome <laughs> to you guys. <laughs> well, we're used to seeing a battle of champagnes in Victory Lane, but we have a battle of the beers between Allison and the Root in our Victory Lane. <laughs> well, our winner Circle interview has been brought to you by Goodyear. You either have Goodyear Eagles or you need them. What they don't tell you is right after this one off the air, Jack Root beat the crap out of Bobby Allison in victory lane. Somehow I doubt that. Bobby Allison was like a magician. He, he had his distraction over here on the left, and boom, beer down the back on the right. I salute you, sir. Yeah, no, seriously. Uh, and that's the, See, I would like whoever the interviewer was for the Atlanta victory lane to take some notes. That's how you interview a happy guy in Victory Lane. You talk to him, you let him get what he wants out, you let him pour the beer on you, you let him celebrate, and you screw off. Yes, exactly. You don't have to be the center of attention. The driver is. Exactly. So, yeah, the way he poured beer all over a root was, was good because it, it must have been some good cold beer because a root kind of screamed like a little girl there for a second. He could have cut glass with those nipples. <laughs> Yes, indeed. So the results of the race, uh, Bobby Allison takes home the win, Dell Earnhardt in second, Buddy Baker third, Bobby Hillen Jr., Phil Parsons round out the top five, Morgan Shepard, Richard Petty, Rick Wilson, Ron Bouchard, and Greg Sachs. What a top ten. And it's not because there wasn't a big wreck. There was a couple of little ones. It was attrition. That's a wild top ten if I ever saw one. Yeah, most of it was just motor blowing, but, I mean, who expects uh, Elliot and, uh, you know, Kyle and all these other people to go out like that? Ricky Rudd, Waltrip, everybody went out with a motor. 
Yeah, and I mean, Bodine went out with they're in the wreck. So it was like a, Oprah was in the garage going, "You blow a motor, you blow a motor, everybody blow a motor." Everybody blows a motor. So this race was a, a turning point here in '86, as Waltrip had been the points leader for a while, and after he drops out of the race, Dale Earnhardt takes over the points lead with uh, 1,417 points. Waltrip goes to second at 13.08. Rusty Wallace third in the points, 12.16. Bobby Allison moves up to fourth. Terry Labonte, fifth, Kyle Petty, Bill Elliott, Tim Richmond, Harry Gant, and Jeff Bodine. And Andy, I know we're still, we're not deep into the season by any means, but Tim Richmond has not shown us anything. I have done, we do, I've done 1986 because it was the year of Richmond. It wasn't the year of Richmond. It was the summer and fall of Richmond, apparently. Yeah, it must be the next two thirds of Richmond because he hasn't been, you, we haven't talked about him none. I mean, other than when you see him on the rare occasion. Yeah, I mean, it's usually when he's on the tail end of the lead lap trying to get his lap back or something. He just was out to lunch and then running eight here eighth in the points and just not a factor and when you know what happens toward the end of the year it's going to be exciting to see uh see how that plays out so we'll go into our post-race wrap-up and andy um who was your driver of the race darren charles crowder <laughs> that would be the gentleman that stole the pace car yes anytime you can steal the pace car and make a whole lap and then get stopped i salute you sir I'll, I'll have to give it to the traditional approach and give it to Bobby Allison since he won the race. Um, I honestly, uh, I think, I mean, Elliot had the best car, but Al- he wasn't getting away from Allison. I, I, it would have been interesting if Elliot was still out there because Allison might have actually had something for Elliot. Well, I mean, at this point, you don't know if Allison was holding back or just, you know, trying to stay close enough to get him at the very end or what he was doing. Yeah, it's it's hard telling exactly what was going on because they all back then, you did have to try to take care of your cars a little more and, and try to figure out what was um, going on. So, uh, my critical moment of the race was when uh, Elliot blew up, but also I had to throw in the Kelly Arborough crash because it took out two other good cars. What, which one would you give the nod to? Mine was Elliot blowing up because you could tell after that everybody had a sense of okay, we have a chance. Yeah, it did. I mean, the whole order was shaken up when Elliott went out of the race. You didn't you didn't really know who was going to win there. Buddy Baker on that last restart, Rick Wilson up there, Phil Parsons. I mean, it was just a crap shot on who was actually going to win the race. Um, what was your most surprising thing about the race? It was probably the fact of all the people that didn't make it to the race, that make it into the race, that was running over 200 mile an hour in qualifying, like Kawiki and... Yeah, Martin Martin even. I mean, they, there was a bunch of big names that didn't even make it, and they were doing over 200. Yeah, everybody qualified over 200. Now, I mean, this is Kawiki's rookie year. Mark Martin was not driving a good car either, so it's not like big names missed the race at the time. They were big names in the Midwest, but still hadn't quite made it in NASCAR. Oh, definitely. And, I mean, you know, they're starting out, but still the fact that you drive over 200 mile an hour and you don't even make the show, that's crazy. So, um, who would you give your goodies headache award to, Andy? Ernie Elliott, because you know his head had to be hurting where he ain't been able to put them motors together for him, and he's had, what, two blow-up back-to-back now? Yeah, and he's at home with, with stricken with mono, and yeah, with God mono knows what. Yeah, with <laughs> But um, I'll give mine to Bill Elliott, because he actually blew up. Um, interesting to see, what is your race rating for this race? 
uh, definitely 84. It was a good race. There was a lot of movement. There were cars all over the track racing each other. There wasn't a bunch of back of the Packers getting in the way. I actually enjoyed the race. I gave it a little lower, and it's probably only because the race actually made me had a stroke <laughs> when I was watching it on YouTube. If you could find it on a better video, you might have had a better uh, rating on that one. Yeah, when, when you're trying to clip everything together and you're having to watch it multiple times, it, it sours the experience a little. But um, I, I did give it a 78, but it was a good race. It's not. It, it was more because of the video quality than uh, than the, the race. So your entertainment factor, though, Andy, what did you give it entertainment? 93, because when you have the pit, or when you have the pace car stolen, you have somebody throw a beer can into a racer's windshield, and he has to change it. And then at the very end, you don't know who's going to win because they're all jockeying back and forth. I, I, I was very well entertained. Oh, I, I definitely was, too. I gave it an 88 because nobody can beat Buddy Baker. Well, that's I can't argue with that one. I didn't want to go over 88 because the ghost of Buddy may come back and take me out. <laughs> you may be back. Uh, so, um, all right. That, that'll that'll about wrap up this Talladega race. Um, like always, you can find our group here, Racing Through Time. Join our Facebook group. Um, we'll add you. You can follow me on, pit, on uh, Twitter at OPRWord and... You can follow On Pit Road for your later, latest motorsports news and information at onpitroad.com or at On Pit Road on Twitter. Um, so we're kind of going to try to start doing a thing that we'll talk about here. We had been, um, some people's ask us about Patreon and doing some other things because they know, I mean, God, even doing one race a week, if we go 86, 87, 88, even if we skip races here and there, it might be a long time till we get to your favorite race. So we have launched a Patreon page, um, and uh, we will be posting that in the links here um, on on the show page. So what we're going to do, we've got three tiers of Patreon. Um, our Patreon tiers, for $5 a month, you will be in the tier called Start and Park. That don't say it's not a bad thing. What you're going to get is access to our shows early. You'll be the first ones to hear it. We won't even post it on our group for a few days. Uh, you'll be the first people that gets the the show in a higher quality audio format, and also you'll get our heartfelt thanks um, read on the show. Our next tier up is the contender tier. So for twenty five dollars, now this is a twenty five dollar a month pledge, but you can pledge it one time. And then back back down to $5. That's perfectly fine. For $25, we let you pick a race. The only thing we're going to ask you is to do it before the year 2010. Because I, I, I don't care what it is. I still don't right now have the stomach to do any, any newer races. I want it to be um, more of an homage to the past. If I'm going to chase something, it's going to be tail. So 2010, um, you'll, you'll get to pick one race, and you'll also maintain your spot of uh, of um getting the shows early for and also um if you can choose for that 25 dollars for the race you pick you'll have the opportunity to uh, be interviewed for the show and tell us why you picked that year and uh or why you picked that race and uh, talk about the race and and what stood out for you and you'll have a, your own segment on the show and our final tier is the uh, $50 tier. It's the champions tier. And you get everything you get in the bottom two tiers. Uh, you get to pick a race. 
But for $50, Andy, if somebody is wants to stomach this, they can be on the entire show with us. Yeah, I, I don't know if you'd want to do that or not, but you're more than welcome, and we will have you come in here and interview with us and tell your thoughts and give your opinions on everything because we're open But Yeah, and, and honestly, you'll get some behind the, behind the curtain because there's a lot of things, even though we, we're – PG 13 that we won't mention on there that you'll get this. You'll actually get our full thoughts on some of this stuff. If you come on our, our Patreon show or uh, for the whole show, for sure. For better or worse. Yeah. You'll know exactly what we're thinking. Yeah, We, we may have you sign a disclaimer <laughs> before, before you, uh, before you do the show, but yes, you'd be able to uh, be on the entire show with us. So, um, I know the next race, the actual next race, was the Winston. That was at Atlanta. That race was so awful that they never went back. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I'll just give a sneak peek. I don't think Andy did. I, I watched it again just to make sure, and I wasn't impressed. Bill Elliott just kicked their tail. But the, there is the, if somebody wants to go out there, somebody on YouTube last year posted the Atlanta Invitational. And it was the one where fans voted some other guys to have their own race separate from the um, the Winston. And, man, that race was good. The, it, it did spread out toward the end, but I saw a lot of drafting. If they would have had as good of racing in the Winston as they had in the Atlanta Invitational, they might have had more Winstons at Atlanta. But uh, So we're probably going to just – we're going to skip over that, and then uh, we will hit our next race – and honestly, I don't even remember where the next race is after um, after the uh, the Atlanta race. Maybe Dover. I know we've got Dover and uh, the Coke 600 coming up, so Dover might be the next race. And I'm not even sure it's on YouTube, so we'll have to we'll have to see. Oh, oh yeah, and on Patreon. The other thing I forgot to mention: for five dollars a month, besides getting access to the shows early, we are going to do exclusive Patreon shows that we will also pick. You'll have the opportunity to pick shows, but we're going to pick some shows and we will promise you exclusive content at least once a month of a race that we pick that we're going to cover that will not be for public consumption. Yeah, not for public consumption. That's usually what we end up having to do anyway. Yeah, so, it, it, uh, and um, just, we are definitely, I'm definitely going to, Andy will get to pick some, I'll pick some. Um It'll be whatever we want it want it to be. I know that I'm going to probably throw some ASA races in there, some old Bush Grand National races, and maybe even some dirt races, uh, sprint car, late model, whatever whatever hits me that day. Anything that we can find on YouTube. We're not going to cover a race that you're not going to be able to go back on YouTube to follow along. It's got to be something that we can get to on YouTube. That's why I'm urgently looking for video of it the go-kart race that they performed where they were all in in go-karts made up like their own cars. I want to find this video in its entirety. Somebody help us out. I, when was, I don't even remember that. When was this? I th- It was in the eighties. I don't remember exactly. Cause it, I think Daryl was in the tide car. If I'm remembering correctly, they've got a clip of it, just the end of it, because he even admitted that he messed with the carburetor and turned and opened the governor up so he could run faster. Oh yeah, you give a race car driver any kind of a avenue, and they're going to cheat if they can. So yeah, we'll have to find that race. But so um, you want to join our Patreon group? Do that. You'll get exclusive races that you're not going to get 
on this main show where right now where we're just covering the 1986 season. We're going to give you a mixed bag on Patreon for $5 a month. I uh, hope it'll be worth it. So, Andy, any more final thoughts here this week? If you can't be an athlete, be an athletic supporter. Or at least find somebody to support you like Helen Ray. That's right. Go Vols. Go Vols. Uh, roll Todd. What'd you say? <laughs> uh, that's for Conrad Thompson, if he ever listens to our show. Call me. <laughs> so, for Andy, this is Ricky, another Raising Through Time in the books. <laughs>